Hi and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. On today's show, we're joined by Royal center fielder Michael A. Taylor, who is off to a good start both at the plate and in the field for his new team. We'll also explore the great Mookie Betts catch against the Padres in a bit of a different way, through neuroscience. But first, Michael A. Taylor. It's early, but Michael's defensive runs saved are looking quite good. He's been a top 5 or top 10 defensive center fielder by that stat in the past, but doesn't quite get the buzz of Kevin Kiermeyer or Byron Buxton. His welcome to the Royals moment came in the form of a couple of outfield assists on opening day. Enjoy our conversation with him. First question is this one we ask every player that we have that comes on. Do you remember the first time that you made a play that was a great play? And I'm talking about like as a little kid and what it was like, the feeling and, and things like that. It's tough. As a little kid, no, there's really not uh, one that stands out at a very young age. How about high school? No, not really. I think the the very first play that that I remember um, got a lot of attention was in Instructs in 2010 when I just moved to the outfield. And there was a ball in the gap that I laid out for full extension. And I just moved from the infield. So maybe it was because I was an infielder that that everyone got real excited. But that's probably the earliest play that I remember that got a lot of attention. What was the feeling like of making a great play and and having everyone kind of be all excited about it? That's a great feeling, you know, especially plays that take runs off the board or prevent runs. You know, you feel like you hit a home run. All right, so speaking of taking runs off the board, opening day, you've had a nice defensive day, from what I understand. Can you explain what that was like for you, uh, getting a fresh start in a place like KC? Yeah, um, it's, it's nice getting a fresh start, and KC is a great place to play defense. I mean, the outfield is very spacious, so you have a lot of room to, to roam out there. And then in that first game, I had two balls where I had an opportunity to uh, to make a throw, and Salvi picked me up both times, making a great pick and uh, putting tag on him. What is it like to, I guess, to throw to him as a target? It's great. I mean, just the extra confidence that you get knowing that you don't have to make a perfect long hop you know, that he can handle anything that you throw at him, basically. It kind of frees you up to just be more aggressive. You rate well uh, in terms of going to get balls specific to the analytics and the StatCast data. The amount of ground that you cover once you kind of get started, like it, like after that first second and a half, is there anything that you would suggest to someone coming up and learning to play the outfield regarding being able to get a good burst on balls once once uh, a ball's hit? Well, for me, I focus more on getting the right read. I don't really worry about rushing to make a read because I feel like if you start as soon as the ball's hit but you're heading in the wrong direction, you'll still cover less ground than if you take your, you know take another split second to know exactly where the ball's going and try to take the most efficient route. So uh, that's something that I, I focus on when I'm out there. Obviously, the quicker that I can make that that right read, the better, but it's not something that I rush to do. What goes into your pre-pitch preparation? Pre-pitch, uh, depending on which side of second base I'm playing on, I try to uh, well, I go through which way the ball's going to tail. If he hits it, you know, over my left shoulder, right shoulder, right at me. That way I'm not making, or we're not breaking or turning the wrong way off the bat. I also think about balls on the ground that I can make a play and then balls in the air, you know, if we have runners on base, what base I throw to. So kind of just running through situations where where I'm going to go with the ball after I get it. 
There were times earlier in your career where I know you had to overcome mistakes in the field. Is there a mistake that you're particularly proud of that you were able to overcome and that you learned from and maybe shared the lesson that you learned from it? Again, this is aimed towards someone that's a younger player that's coming up that's kind of dealing with the same kind of thing. Yeah, I made an error in L.A. on a ground ball that actually ended the game. It was a a walk-off error. And at the time, it, it felt like the worst thing in the world. And just working beyond that, I realized, you know, you're going to make mistakes. It wasn't a, a mental error or something where I wasn't prepared. It just took a bad hop and I missed the ball. And, you know, stuff like that's going to happen. You just come back the next day and keep working. And, you know, there's been no ill effects from that one day. So You were also the beneficiary of that a couple of years ago in the postseason on a play that resulted in you winning the, the wildcard series against Milwaukee. Do you have empathy for outfielders when you see something like that happen? Definitely. You know, it's it's unfortunate when it takes a bad hop like that and you try to do everything you can, whether it's cut down ground or, or pick the right hop, but sometimes it's just going to do something that you don't expect, whether it's a spin or something on the field that can cause it to kick. And you see it, I mean, not every day, but it definitely happens. What's the most difficult kind of play that you had to make that you were you were proud that you were able to get to? Well, uh, whenever you can rob a home run, that's always a big play. And I think moving from the infield to the outfield, that was probably the biggest learning curve, just getting used to going back on balls at the wall, getting comfortable with looking the ball off and feeling the track and just knowing where you are on the field. So anytime I have an opportunity to make that play, it's... It's definitely a big one. How long did it take you to acclimate the infield to outfield transition? I would say that that first instructs. So maybe a few months. And I I played a little bit coming up. It wasn't like I was completely new to it, but never at a professional level. But after that first instructs, and I give a lot of credit to my coach, Tony Tarasco, that I felt like he... um, he definitely accelerated my development in the outfield. And after leaving that instructs, I felt pretty comfortable out there. You've had a number of memorable postseason moments at the plate. I'm curious if you've had, I, I think you've had a memorable postseason moment or two in the field. And I'm curious if, if you have any favorites among those. To end the NLCS against the Dodgers, there was a diving play uh, that I came in for. Uh, Justin Turner hit a pop up to center field and I was charging in and uh, able to get under it. That's, probably one of the most memorable catches that I have. What goes into the catch that you made against Justin Turner? I like to get below that ball. You know, some of those line drives that are hit shallow, it's like a soft line drive. Uh, Especially when you can't hear the contact, it's hard to tell how well they hit it. So getting down in my legs and below the baseball helps me recognize the spin and trajectory. And then once you make that initial read and you're charging in, still trying to stay as low as possible just to I think that helps you gauge your depth. Beyond that, you come to a point where you just have to commit. You know, there's some balls where you're, you know, I have a chance to catch this if I dive, and then there's some where it's like right on that edge and you're not sure. But if you pull up and you get stuck in between, then a lot of times you're left with a bad hop. So the sooner you commit, the better, or the sooner you pull up, the better. So it's just it's just making that decision and, and being aggressive and going after it. How long does it take to, to master, not master, but get considerably better at something like that? I mean, the more you do it, the better. But the thing that's tough is every ball in every situation is a little different. 
uh, whether it's the spin or the backdrop or the read, the jump. I don't, uh, how long does it take? I'm, I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> Transitioning to, to uh, one other topic that I always like to get people on because he was a favorite person of mine. You played for Dusty Baker. And Dusty said that he felt that you were good enough to win a, a gold glove someday. Probably his reads and jumps and, and, his, and his closing speed. Because you hear about guys, some guys outrun the ball, but there's a couple of occasions that Michael A. Taylor has outrun the ball, but a lot of it has to do on taking the proper route and angles to the ball. And uh, because it's hard to outrun that ball. Now they've got 100 and something extra speed off the. I don't know anybody runs 100 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you have, to, you have to take a proper angle, or else that ball's by you already. And um, so, yeah, I mean, someday Michael's going to get a gold glove out there because he's already amongst the best in, in, in the league. When I know that all the people that I've associated with that worked with Dusty Baker come away with uh, very strong feelings of a positive nature about him. How did he positively impact your career? Well, Dusty Baker's a great, a great manager, and you know, I have a good relationship with him, but just watching him interact with everyone on the team, I felt like... Uh, you know, he cares about everyone beyond baseball, you know, going to like a personal level. And me personally, I felt like he, you know, just encouraged me to play the game. He didn't put any added pressure on me. He had confidence in my ability and, you know, trusted me to go out there and play, play the game well and play the game hard. What coach impacted you the most in your career? Tony Tarasco. Uh, he was the outfield coordinator for us or for the Nationals for quite a while. And uh, he helped me a lot. What, what, give me a specific on what he did. Well, all the outfield work, you know, like I said, I came in as a shortstop, so I was basically starting from scratch. I mean, he taught me just about everything that I know. And then, you know, he played himself, so he was also a big help on the mental side because a lot of the, the struggles and the things you come across in the game, he'd already been through. And uh, just giving giving you that, that insight on some of the things that you're going to come across later in your career and then also helping you through those things as it, as they come up. What's the best tip that you would give to someone that was, say, like 15, 16 years old who was uh, playing the outfield and maybe struggling with it a little bit? I would say just practice on the little things. Don't take for granted any fundamentals you know, that, your coaches, that your coaches are bringing to you, and that was something that I learned from Tony Tarasco. He talked about the catapult effect where you go back on the, to the fundamentals, and that's like pulling back the catapult. And then that will spring you forward and take your game to the next level. So, you know, and it's something that you see more at the professional level. Some guys, once we get to a certain level, we feel like, oh, I don't need that. That's elementary or little league. But all that stuff is is very important. And just uh, work as hard as you can. And then that work will give you confidence because you know you know you've prepared to the best of your ability. Last question. I know that you're now into woodworking uh, and have become somewhat of an aficionado with that. If you win a gold glove or a Fielding Bible Award this year, will you create uh, some sort of woodworking uh, display so that you can uh, put it there? That's a good question. I never thought about it. Yeah, why not? I'd make a case for it. But the first thing I want to do is uh, I want to make a, a fungo for Bobby Henley, who was an outfield coach for us for the Nationals. I told him I'd get him a gold fungo when I win a gold glove. So. That'll probably come before the case. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Michael, best of luck this year. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. The best source for defensive stats and information is our website, FieldingBible.com. 
you can get all the latest leaderboards of the players and teams. It features our flagship stat, Defensive Run Save. Find out how good your favorite player is. That's FieldingBible.com. A couple of weeks ago, Mookie Betts made an incredible play, resulting in a game-winning catch against the San Diego Padres. I'd previously heard a lot about the neuroscience aspects of the batter-pitcher matchup, but I thought it would be cool to learn more about the neuroscience of the batter-fielder matchup, in this case applied to how Betts made that catch. The, the first thing that happens is the, you know, the brain takes in the visual information and tries to start predicting where the ball is going to end up based on its trajectory and its velocity. Jason Thiemanson is a psychology professor at Illinois Wesleyan University who has done neuroscience presentations at the Sabre Analytics Conference. The brain starts to predict and work ahead in time because if there's a, a delay, it knows that as it's processing the information that it just saw, the ball is moving ahead in time. So it's, it's trying to extrapolate where the ball is going to end up. And that starts with the visual cortex at the back of the brain. Much like the ball takes a journey from Tommy Pham's bat to Mookie Betts' glove, the processing takes a journey as well. It goes from the visual cortex to the middle temporal cortex. Meanwhile, other parts of Betts' brain, like the cerebellum, are triggering motion. The dive is a collaborative effort of the basal ganglia, the cerebellum, the premotor, and then lastly, the motor. It's all pretty cool when it comes together and baseball players have a special aptitude in this area. A lot of athletes, through their experience and through kind of just seeing so many balls hit in the air and seeing and just the habit of reacting, they are enforcing and reinforcing these neural pathways to be much more efficient at doing their skill-based you know, movements and actions than you and I would be. Just through experience and exposure and also through mirroring and modeling, seeing other players react and just kind of the years of experience, they they build these neural pathways to be much more efficient to, to engage in this reactionary, almost reflexive behavioral response much quicker than you and I do based on their expertise and their perceptual experience. Bet's ability to make this kind of catch shouldn't come as a surprise. Since 2016, he's the MLB leader in defensive run save. This wraps up the SIS Baseball Podcast for today. We'll be back at it in two weeks. In the meantime, check out our stats at FieldingBible.com or at Baseball Reference, Fangraphs, or Rotowire. Thanks to Michael A. Taylor, Jason Thiemanson, and our producer, Justin Stein. I'm Mark Simon. Stay safe and stay well. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.